Hi, my name is Kevin Stone. I'm the president of the Fellowship of Evangelical Bible Churches. That's the fellowship your church belongs to. And I'm glad I could join you this morning. Well, I mean, I wish I could join you this morning. Uh, I, I can't physically come there because of the border restrictions, but I'm glad that technology allows me to share with you. I've been praying for you. I know your church has had a rough time in the last year. All of our churches have with COVID and the restrictions and all the issues. But I know you've been dealing with, with things and struggling with things. I've been talking to your pastor and your elders and praying fervently for you. And, and I want you to know that others are praying for you. I believe God has a great plan for you, that he's going to glorify himself through you in the community as he has in years past. And, and I just wish his utmost blessings on you this morning. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, how we deal with issues, but first, uh, just a note about our fellowship. We've had a tough year, too. The, the restrictions and the closings have been really hard on us, but we have been focused on resources. We have a new vision statement that was approved last summer, uh, strengthening our churches with timely resources that strengthen their leaders. We believe that the best way we can help your church is to strengthen the leaders to move forward uh, with good information and good resources and people they can turn to when they need help. And so we've been really focused on these resources and we continue to, to provide them to leaders and to help them walk through processes that maybe they haven't walked through before to help their churches be stronger. So this morning I'm here, I'm here to share God's word and I'm going to do that from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. Now, I don't have to go through the, the litany of issues that are concerning us right now. We're so concerned about the future, and it has to do with all kinds of things. It's the, the vitriol between different political parties, the mistrust between races, and the ugliness of the political process, and the uncertainty of jobs, anxiety over our politicians. I mean, I could go on and on about things that concern us about the future. But what I want to talk about is our response. How in the world are we supposed to be prepared for all these things? How do we deal with this sociological and physical and spiritual conflict? I don't know where it's headed, but it seems to be getting worse. A year or five years or ten years from now, confessing Christ could be a hate crime. And what would we do? Are we prepared to stand in the face of that battle? Well, we're here to learn from God's Word, but I want to start with a famous quote that's decidedly not Christian. Sun Tzu famously said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Now, this is a pillar of strategy. Sun Tzu was a famous Chinese military leader from centuries ago, but for centuries, military leaders have used his words as a reference, as a guide when they're preparing for battle. And he says, if you know the enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So, in other words, knowing your enemy allows you to be victorious. It's a pillar of good strategy. Unfortunately, I fear many Christians are gearing up for the wrong fight. It's, it's not just that we don't know our enemy well. It's that we have identified the wrong enemy. We need to prepare for the right fight. So as we look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20, someone might well wonder, is Paul, as he's writing the first century, does he understand what we're dealing with? I mean, does he get it? Does he understand all the things that society is bringing and pressing down on us? But the book of Ephesians was written around AD 62, and Paul was imprisoned in Rome at that time. It was just a few years before he was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down around the same time. Andrew was crucified a couple of years earlier in Patras. And we know from Acts 12 that James was beheaded by Herod around AD 44. And of course, 
all of this started about 11 years before that when Jesus was crucified. In other words, the New Testament was written when the Roman Empire was the unchallenged government, and that government was cruel and tyrannical and hostile toward Christians. Christians have lost their lives throughout history for their faith, and they continue to today. So whether or not that day ever arrives in Canada, we must learn to stand against evil. We must be ready for whatever battle is coming because evil is pressing down on us. We see it in every aspect of life. So in the midst of imprisonment and awaiting death and living in the capital of a cruel and tyrannical government, what did Paul tell us to do? Well, in verse 10 he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, that's because he said finally because it was the conclusion of his letter to the church in Ephesus. And starting in chapter 4, he had delineated the lifestyle of believers, focusing on relationship. He commends them to love and honesty and purity. And then he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord. As society falls apart around us, as our views are increasingly mocked and vilified by the media or our neighbors, we must be strong. But we can only be strong in the power of the Lord. The Greek word used here is dunamai. And it's the same root word translated as power in Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, he's not saying trust in your strength. He's saying trust in God's strength. Your strength is only found in relying on the Holy Spirit within you. Simply put, you are most vulnerable when you believe your own strength is sufficient. You are only strong when you are strong in the Lord. Verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, Paul's audience would have been able to, able to easily connect with this imagery. When you're about to enter battle, you put on armor. To go without armor is foolish. It's far easier for your enemy to wound or kill you. And this principle is still true today. We see it when soldiers are gearing up for a battle or when police officers are gearing up for a riot. They start putting on the appropriate gear to protect themselves. Now, if you do not feel we're in a spiritual war zone, you're not paying attention. But here's the important part. Our fight is against the schemes of the devil. So, conventional armor won't do anything for us. You can stockpile guns and build a bunker. You can prepare in whatever ways you think you need to prepare, but it won't protect us from what's coming because this is a spiritual battle. He goes on to say in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This may be the most important thing I'll say, so please listen. Our fight is not with flesh and blood, but with Satan and his forces. Our fight is not with flesh and blood, it's with Satan and his forces. This verse refers to the various ranks of spiritual forces at Satan's disposal. It also alludes to earthly rulers and authorities who have been corrupted by Satan's influence. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So what does this mean? It means Satan uses people and organizations and activist groups and governments. He is your enemy. The evil one who controls the forces of this world is your, is your enemy. So who is not your enemy? The person who sits in the cube next to you at work is not your enemy. The other parent on your kid's soccer team is not your enemy. The angry activist on TV 
is not your enemy. The person on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok who is more liberal or more conservative than you is not your enemy. The person sitting in the pew next to you is not your enemy. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. We must stop hating those who do not understand the truth. They're being duped. They're being used. They're pawns in Satan's game. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded them. They are not your enemies. Satan is. So it's not our job to attack or condemn or revile those who hate us and persecute us. It's our job to love them and honor them. It's our job to win them over to Christ. It's our job to show them the love and compassion of Christ. And that makes them want to leave behind the lies that have defined their lives. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with the people who believe killing babies is okay, but with the evil powers that have convinced them that it's just a medical procedure. We wrestle not with those who promote sexual perversion, but with the evil powers that have told them sexual perversions are normal. We wrestle not with those who accuse the church of being hateful and judgmental, but with the evil powers that created this myth, this myth and have perpetuated it. We wrestle not with greedy and corrupt politicians, but with the one who makes power and money look so fulfilling while minimizing the horrible outcome of sin. Our fight is against Satan and his forces, and we should feel compassion toward those who've been eaten up by Satan's lies and deceit, who've been overtaken by the sin of this world. They are flesh and blood with hearts just as wicked as ours before being redeemed. So, our fight is against the spiritual forces that have been working against mankind through history. So instead of brushing up on geopolitical information and the planks of our political parties and our rights as a citizen and, and good argumentative procedures and how, how can I make a good argument with these people, we need to, to do something else. We need to be different. We need to live differently as believers. And what does God tell us through his servant Paul? Verse 13, Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. In order to withstand all that Satan is hurling against us, we must take up the whole armor of God. There are two critical points here. The whole armor means all of it. The whole armor means all of it. It has nothing to do with uh, taking on the parts that best fit us or that we like the best. It's not the parts that are easiest. We must take on all of it. If we're missing part of the armor, we're leaving ourselves vulnerable. Satan is an expert at finding and exploiting our vulnerabilities. Second, it says, of God, the armor of God. It's not our own armor. It's not about our own expertise or experience or talent. It's God's work in us. We must admit that we are completely broken and worthless without the amazing, transforming work of God in our lives. If we take on the whole armor of God, we can stand firm. Now, if you grew up in church, you've heard this a few times, but let's quickly review the armor of God. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So what's this about a belt? Well, maybe you've heard the term, gird your loins. This phrase comes from the Old Testament. For instance, in Exodus 12:11 in the KJV, it says, With your loins girded indicating that the Israelites should be ready to leave Egypt quickly. Now, this won't sound very manly, but the men had something called a girdle. 
Back then, men wore long robes. You've seen pictures that show Jesus or the disciples, and they have these long robes, or Moses and Abraham. Gird your loins meant to prepare for an activity where your legs should be free to move. So if you're about to work or if you're about to do battle, you'd pull up the long part of your robe, girdle it, and fasten it with a belt. And Paul is saying that battle is hard, so prepare for hard work with the belt of truth. Now, I never thought I'd have to say this, but first, we must realize that there is such a thing as objective truth. There is such a thing, such a thing as objective truth. It's not about my truth or your truth. There is truth, and it comes from God. To put on the belt of truth means we must dwell on the truth. Now, God's word is truth, so study and meditate on that truth daily. It is said that a bank teller could spot a counterfeit bill the moment he touched it because he is so familiar with what the real thing feels like. But we should try, strive to be so familiar with the truth that we can quickly spot a lie. Just like a bank teller could spot that counterfeit, we should be so familiar with God's word that we know a lie when we hear it. While I think Paul was referring to our understanding of God's truth, I also believe we have a further responsibility. If God is truth and we're his children, we should be people of truth. We should share truth. We shouldn't just be those who consume and understand it. We should be those who speak truth in all things. So if you get a clever meme that makes somebody look bad, but you're not sure if it's true, don't share it. I get all these pictures of like an actor with a quote under his name. I don't, I don't think that actor said half of those things. Don't share it if you don't know if it's true. Because we don't do ourselves any favors as, as Christians when others see that we're not people of truth. We should be about the truth. If you see a brother or sister spreading a gossip or a rumor or a lie, ask them to stop. We have to stop ignoring the little sins. These weaken our spiritual armor. And put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was intended to cover the most vital organs, including the heart. So to stand firm against the plans of Satan, you must guard your heart. Keep unrighteous things from becoming your focal point and dwell on the things of God. Refuse to dwell on temptation or evil. What you expose yourself to will strengthen or weaken your breastplate. All that said, I want to be clear. What you do or don't do will never make you righteous. We are made righteous because God has imputed the righteousness of Christ on us. Avoiding unrighteous things does not make you more righteous. Avoiding unrighteous things strengthens your defense against Satan. Let's dwell on righteous things so Satan doesn't have a vulnerability to attack. For instance, if you engage in persistent sin, how easy is it for Satan to convince you that you're worthless? Believing that lie will take you out of the battle. Satan uses anything at his disposal, and allowing him a weakness by ongoing sin is just allowing him to attack you more effectively. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, what do shoes have to do with readiness? While the Roman soldiers wore special shoes for battle, the soles were extremely thick or lined with metal, and they had cleats to improve their footing. It was common to, to try to injure soldiers by putting sharp objects in the ground, but if you wore these special shoes, they gave you better footing so you could defend yourself, they protected you against these devices. And so the security of righteousness is like that stability that those soldiers were given by those special shoes. We have the security of knowing Jesus paid our way. It allows us to stand firm. 
I know I'm not worthy or righteous or able to withstand, but God provides my sure footing. The message of the gospel reassures us and qualifies us to stand firm. Notice that Paul calls it the gospel of peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings about peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. The gospel message is that we are no better than those who haven't believed, and we pray that they will receive the glorious gift that we've received. It's a gospel of peace. Verse 16, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now this is huge, folks. In all circumstances, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bleak the future looks, no matter how many people test positive for COVID, no matter how many stores are looted or burned, no matter how the stock market or the housing market or gas prices change, no matter what restrictions are still in place, no matter what happens at your church, you have a shield against the flaming darts of Satan and your shield is faith. Our testimony is weakened when we despair about the future. The gospel gives us a hope and an eternal perspective, and we should surely be concerned about the fate of our society and the fate of our church and the fate of our children, but we should not be ruled by fear or despair. If we believe God's word to be true, we know that things will get worse before they get better. Have faith, trust God, believe his words and his promises, do not allow discouragement to rule over you, but have faith. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now a helmet protects your noggin. It protects your head. You can be easily disabled or killed if the enemy can strike your head. But by God's great grace, he has given salvation to those who believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That salvation means you've been adopted by God, never to be let go. We have that protection. We can trust that salvation. It's been given to us. He's placed a covering of protection over you, and you cannot be truly killed by Satan. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul says that our helmet is the hope of salvation. We need to have a hope that goes hand in hand with faith. We need to take on the mindset of hope with eternity in view. We know that even though Satan might kill our body, he has not killed us. Death is the last worst thing can sin, that sin can do to you, and yet we have a hope that can endure. Satan, the father of lies, wants you to lose hope, but you can cling to the hope of your salvation. Now, the sword is the only part of the armor mentioned that could be either offensive or defensive. You can use the word of God for protection in times of danger, but you can also use it to attack evil. You might recall that when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, Jesus fought back with Scripture. Every time he answered Satan, he said, It is written. If you were in battle in the first century, I'd imagine you clung to your sword very tightly. You depended on it for your life. We should be clinging to our Bibles just as tightly. I don't care if you use a paper Bible or you look at your phone or you use an audio Bible. I don't care if you use the NIV or the KGV or the ESV or what version you use. You won't be prepared for battle if you don't take time to know your Bible. Now, it seems like more and more Christians today are falling for heresy. It's one of the most discouraging trends in the church I've seen. But they fall for heresy because they don't truly know the Bible. We're easily duped. We're deceived when we don't understand God's Word. People are easily deceived because they dropped their sword long ago or barely picked it up in the first place. 
And when you don't use your sword, you become unfamiliar with it. Let's think about this for a moment. A person with no experience could pick up a big heavy sword and immediately drop it and cut off their toe. That doesn't help anything. It's only harmful. But the reason that they did it was because they never learned to handle it properly. The same is true of God's Word. You must learn to handle it properly so you are not easily deceived. Without context, almost any assertion can be made. Like, if I only show you a passage about loving others, you will easily believe homosexuality is okay because you haven't taken the time to see the context that God says homosexuality is a sin and that God hates sin. It's not okay. But without context, we can easily be deceived. We must know our sword. Practice with your sword. Use it daily. Become proficient at wielding it. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, a couple of points from these verses. Soldiers don't just need armor. They need a plan of action. And part of our action plan is spelled out clearly here. Pray at all times. In the thick of battle, huddled away from the fight, whatever your circumstance, pray. There is power in prayer. And I don't know if we always believe that today. I, th I think we've been convinced that prayer isn't that powerful. It's just something we do at meals and at nighttime. We must not let our prayers become infrequent or ineffective. We should pray fervently and with a spirit of faith, believing that God can and will intercede on our behalf. The verse says, making supplication. That's praying humbly and petitioning God for specific things. And he says, keep alert. As, as a military unit post-watchman, we watch for attacks. When we are aware of needs, we can pray accordingly. Watch. Watch the people around you. Watch your church. Watch your community and be alert for things you should be praying for. Pray specifically. And with all perseverance, persistent, persevering prayer can seem counterintuitive. I mean, God already knows everything. He doesn't forget what I tell him. Why would I pray for the same thing over and over and over again? I, I, don't, I don't know why I should if God doesn't forget the first time. Well, we do not pray with perseverance to convince God that our prayer is valid or important or urgent. We pray with perseverance to build up our own faith. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And spiritual, spiritual disciplines draw our hearts to God. We say the same prayer over and over again, not because we're afraid God didn't hear us the first time. We pray over and over again as a confession that He hears every time. Your Father wants to talk with you. Prayer is important. Persevere against the schemes of Satan with persistent prayer. And finally, verses 19 and 20. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Along with armor and a plan of action, soldiers need leaders. God has placed leaders over us in the form of elders and pastors. And Paul asks the Ephesians to pray specifically for all the saints and for him, that he might declare the gospel boldly even while imprisoned. Folks, pray for your leaders. Pray for the elders of your church. Pray for those who lead the various ministries at Grace. Pray for Pastor Ryan and his family. Pray for your leaders. When I was in the Navy, I was stationed in Greece for a while. And it was a really 
interesting place to be stationed for many reasons. But one thing that was odd about serving on that base was we, we'd been trained from early on that every time you encountered an officer, you should salute him. It was a sign of respect. But in Greece, a couple things. We never wore a uniform outside the base, and we never saluted officers. And it felt kind of awkward to us at first, like, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do this. But the reason was very simple. If we saluted an officer, the enemy could quickly identify that that was a person who was in charge. That was a leader. And then that man became a target. You see, any good military tactician knows if you take out the leaders, you will damage the entire force. And Satan knows the same thing. Your leaders are under attack. Satan will attack your leaders because of their position, because he knows if he can confuse your leaders, if he can weaken your leaders, if he can turn them away from the truth, he will damage your body. Pray for your leaders, because your enemy wants to harm them. Love one another. Pray for all the saints. Love your fellow congregation members. We have to be bound together as we serve in a spiritual outpost through prayer, through love, through connection. And we need to be concerned about our leaders and about the other people around us. And prayer is where that starts. Our society is in the middle of open warfare. We can see it all around us. And as we face the realities of that war and determine how we react, I want to note a couple of things God did not list as our armor. God did not list intelligence or courage or strength or hard work or political savvy or guile, or cunning, or persuasiveness. These are tools that society uses to get ahead, to prove themselves right, to win arguments. But we do not battle against flesh and blood. We battle against Satan and his forces. We need truth, righteousness, and understanding of the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. And there's another thing that God did not mention as our armor. Note that Paul did not describe any armor that covers your backside. Paul didn't mention anything that would protect your backside. Now, why would that be? I mean, is it just not important that we protect ourselves everywhere? Should the armor of God only cover part of us? Well, I would suggest that this is intentional because to me, be strong in the Lord means exactly that. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong does not mean run away. Be strong means stand firm. The armor of God provides no protection if you're running away. It only protects you as you stand firm and face the enemy. So when you're told that your views on homosexuality are old-fashioned and mean, be strong. When you're told that condemning sin is judgmental, stand firm. When you're told that you don't respect women if you hate abortion, be strong. Stand firm. When you're told that saying Jesus is the only way to heaven is hateful, stand firm. Be strong. The armor of God is there to protect you. It is easy in today's environment to run away from our beliefs because society is convinced that our beliefs are archaic and hateful and shameful. No one wants to be rejected or scorned or even punished. But that's exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus, and he told us the same things would happen to us. Be strong in the Lord. I encourage you this morning or sometime this week to think through the armor of God and evaluate how well you've been preparing yourself. Are there weaknesses in your armor that need to be addressed? 
Do you need to increase your faith or get better with the Word of God and, and work on your swordsmanship? Is there some area where you're weak that you need to focus on? Have you been trying to defeat the people around you? Have you been combative with the people around you? Or are you focused on your true enemy? Are you praying for those around you and loving them and encouraging them as you seek God's will, as you seek the armor of God in your life? Let's prepare for the right fight. Let's prepare for the right fight and let's face this battle the way God's calling us to face it. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you and we just call upon you to reveal in our lives areas where we might have been preparing for the wrong fight. Maybe we've been working on how we can argue our point with people. Maybe we've been focused on what we can say to people that would prove them wrong and prove us right and not loving those people and not praying for those people. Lord, perhaps we've been so focused on our fear over the future that we've allowed our faith to slip and we become fearful and, and too afraid to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, we confess those things and we ask you to move in our hearts and our minds, revealing us how we can come back to you Maybe we just need to spend more time in your word. Lord, call us to yourself. Show us your way. Show us the armor you have for us. And let us be willing to put it on and to use it appropriately. We give all these things to you. I give this church to you. I give this congregation to you. And I ask you to bless them richly. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you.